Well, uh, you know, when uh, I don't do very many sermons, I, I teach Bible school in the morning, and that's it's really quite easy for me because there's people talk back to you. Well, they don't talk back to you. They, they maybe should, but they don't. But anyway, they, they converse with you, and, and that frees a lot of things up. But when you're preaching, you're just standing here talking. And, and so um, I, I prepare a little different than most people probably. Uh, I kind of whine to Lynette through the week. You know, I just don't have anything that's just really, really, you know, setting me free here, you know. And, and she always says, uh, well, he will, he will, he will. And I say, yeah, you say that. You don't have to get up and preach. It's easy. But anyway, uh, and sure enough, Thursday morning, early in the morning, uh, I you know, was praying about it. Lord, you know, just, uh, I, I've got to have something that I feel is right, that comes, that I can, I can pattern with your spirit on. And uh, so the other day, uh, here, I just, out of, you know how it goes. Uh, some of you are good at this. Uh, just out of uh, nowhere, it was, uh, who do you say that I am? Okay, I'm going to go look for that verse. So I found it. In Matthew, uh, in the 16th chapter, starting with uh, verse 13. And this whole chapter, to the end of the chapter, there's, there you could get about 20 sermons out of that. It's just an amazing conversation that the Lord has with Peter and the disciples, and especially Peter. And so, uh, to set the tone for this, uh, when he's, he's in... Uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi, I believe. Turn to my Bible here. I'd find out. Uh, 16, um, beginning of 13. And now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, uh, that's about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's the headwaters of the Jordan River. And he kind of wanted to get away a little bit because... We, we see so many times that when he's preaching uh, and he's getting a lot of confrontation, uh, and a lot of it's from the Jewish people. And so he's not, he, sometimes it's just plain aggravating that he can't get out and say what he has to say. And so uh, he, he goes off to this place and how he's a little bit more alone. This country is a, basically a pagan area. Uh, in fact, they have a statue there of a god named Pan. And uh, they have a statue to him and everything. So, so he's in uh, uh, hostile ground here. And so this pagan god Pan, I don't know if it's got anything to do with Peter Pan, but I'd watch out. It could be, you never know. So watch out. Uh, speaking of Peter Pan, when I was a kid, you know, uh, they had this big old records, you know, the big old red records, you know, they'd play. I don't know, some of you would think, yeah, you old. Roger. Mick, you guys know what I'm talking about. I played them, played that old record, you know. And uh, it was about Peter Pan, and, you know, uh, and he, if you, you know, Peter Pan could fly. And so this little song came up, think of the merriest thing, any little, merry little thing, think of Christmas, think of snow, think of sleigh bells, here we go, my friend, we're in the sky. <laughs> and I thought I could fly, seriously. I was young, I was about 15. You know, I really thought this would work. <laughs> but anyway, that, uh, where did that come from? Um, but anyway, the God Pan was in this country. And so uh, Jesus asked this question. He says, 
who do people say that I am? And, you know, they, they, they counter with, say, uh, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah and still others Jeremiah the prophets. Just a second here. We're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, and this is what they're coming up with? Isn't that amazing? You know, the Jewish, the Jewish people then, this is so important to know, did not want to know who he was. They did not want to acknowledge it just would destroy their whole system of religion. But to hear this comes this man, and he claims he's the son of God, and he even says some places that he's forgiving sins. So this isn't working out for him. You know, when you don't want to learn, you won't learn. Uh, <clears throat> there is none so blind as he who will not see. Remember that song? He, there is none so blind that uh, he who will not see. If we refuse to see something, if we refuse to open our minds to something, we'll never learn. Never, never, never. If you set your mind to that, and that's exactly where they were, they would not acknowledge who he was. And so these are the names that he comes up with. And he realized that he knows that. But then he asked this question. And he says to them, but who do you say that I am? Some translations are pretty cool. It says, but you. But you, who do you say that I am? That's a question we can ask ourselves all the time. Who is he? What is he to me? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, you know, we've read that over the years, and we think, duh, I can tell you that. But this this is at the embryo stage of the church. And so when he got that word, remember, not everybody was saying this. In fact, they were... They wanted to kill him over what he said. When he said something like that, he said, ah, that's blasphemy. But Peter says this. Now, Peter, by the words we see next, Peter had something from heaven, from God himself, from the throne room. And here's what Jesus says. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or uh, son of Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, how did that get from heaven, which is eight gazillion light years away, into the heart of Peter, that Peter could say something like that? It only had to be by the Holy Spirit. And I think what's cool about that is how God speaks to any of us. We can learn... We can learn by what, not only what Peter said here, but what he said in some verses following, because God speaks to us naturally. Is that we don't listen, and we don't know how to listen. But this came into Peter's heart, and he spoke it out, and the Lord said, you're blessed for that, because you got that directly from the Father. You and I get words all the time from our Heavenly Father via the Holy Spirit, but we just don't realize what he is saying and what, uh, uh, what they are. But he speaks to us all the time. Here's a very, very simple way to know that. If it's a good thing, you know, in Philippians 4, it talks about how to think. If it's good, if it's righteous, if it's pure, if it's holy... That's him talking. If you have that thought, he's got that in your heart. He's transferred that to you. Uh, if it's selfish, 
if it's usually self-centered, uh, if it's um, uh, harmful to someone else, remember we talked, you know, earlier we talked about forgiving. If it's unforgiving, that's not from the Holy Spirit. That's from your own heart. So that's just a little lesson here on, on uh, what, uh, what Jesus has run into with, with Peter. Verse 18, And I also say that to you, uh, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overpower it. Peter, when he said, I always think of Arnie, uh, Kathy, when we used to talk about this, because uh, what he says is, Jesus says, you are Petros, means a small fractured rock. But he says, I am Petros, Jesus, pointing to himself, I am the big boulder. Now, with, Ar- with Arnie, uh, we would poke each other in the chest. So you are, you're the little rock, you're the fractured rock, I'm the big rock. But we had fun with that. But we know denomination has been built on Peter being the rock. Peter's not the rock. Jesus is the rock. He's the chief cornerstone. Uh, Unless you build on any other rock, any other foundation, it's fruitless. It's in vain. So we know that scripture has been taken out of context, and we've built a large religion out of that. Peter is not the rock that the church is built on. The, built is, the church is built on Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says, Now I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I'm going to stop right there. That goes a little further with Peter. And a lot of times you'll see in stained glass windows in some churches and stuff, you'll see he's got a set of keys. See? You know, when you, you know it's all the pearly gate jokes, you know. When you get to the pearly gates, there's Peter, and you've got to tell Peter this or that or how to get in or something like that. And he's got the keys and stuff like that. Uh, that's just cartoonish. It's got nothing to do with nothing. You know, Jesus is just telling. What he's doing is he's transferring power to the church. And you're seeing the, the embryonic stage of it here because he goes on to say, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So he's transferring power, and he said, you know what? If I okay it in heaven, it's going to be okay down here. If somebody's going to get bound up, if you're going to, if you're going to attack the strong man and bind him, it's going to be, I'm, going to, I'm going to back you up right up here. So when you bind the strong man, when you bind Satan and bind his powers, you have that authority. And whatever you loose, when you loose the goodness of God, and when you loose the freedom in Jesus Christ, I'm behind you 100%. And so he's transferred the power to the church, to us. Not only that, but in 1 Peter, uh, <clears throat> let's see, 1 Peter 2, 4, 4 through 9, it talks about we are little stones. We're, we're, uh, Mike had a great sermon on this a couple of years ago, and he had everybody a stone. Remember that? Anybody recall that? Yeah? No, you don't. Well, you don't. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. A couple did. Yep. I'm going to give you guys a stone when you get done here. <laughs> you know, uh, but he had a great sermon on, on stones, that we're all building stones. And, this is, and Peter himself, in his scripture, in his letter, he said, we are, he got it. He said, we are little stones. We're built on to the big stone. And whatever the big stone says, 
we get to do, we get to perform, and he backs us 100%. So going on in this conversation, um, uh, handing the power to the church, and the church, we have to understand that at this stage of the conversation, they weren't getting it. Um, it, it was just, just going by them because there's so much opposition. They had not revelation of understanding of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it was coming. Verse 20, and then they warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Did they ever wonder about that? Why he didn't do that? Well, when he did, everything was premature. You know, everybody, you know, he said, no, don't tell anybody. You know about the one guy that was 40 years old and uh, crippled and he was healed? He, he told everybody. Well, it, it just caused the ruckus. Uh, the Jews, you know, hauled him into court. They hauled Paul into court. Uh, I think that's one of the times they flogged him, you know, and said, don't do this anymore. Don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. So uh, he's telling them for a purpose. What he really wanted to do down the road is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem because that was, that was forecasted that he would ride into Jerusalem on a foal of a donkey and he would ride in triumphantly into Jerusalem. And that was, the, the Jewish people knew that because they had scripture to back that up. They had a prophetic word to back that up. That's what he wanted to do. And he, he, when he's riding in on that, on that, uh, that colt, they go, oh, oh, I get it now. Okay, I, I, oh, yeah, I see that. Yeah, that's scriptural. But instead, all this fervor got, they got all worked up, and then they didn't hardly even see that, uh, that proclamation. <clears throat> and 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things uh, from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Um, This was, uh, well, let's look at Peter's response here. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, that this shall never happen to you. Do you see see what what he he just does not get it? They they had like... uh, this was probably six months before he was crucified. And I think it's around uh, 14 times Jesus had said those very words that I will go before uh, the, the high priest uh, and others, other leaders and that I would be crucified and I would die and I would resurrect. So he said that about 14 times, about seven to the disciples and about seven uh, publicly. And this is probably the third time or fourth time that it had been spoken. So, you know, it wasn't really sinking in yet because obviously Peter said, oh, no, this ain't going to happen. You know, I, I, his, his mindset is we're going to be freed from the Roman rule. We're going to go back to the glory days of, of uh, uh, Israel when everybody feared the country and everything. We're going to go back to that. So he calls Jesus aside and says, no, this ain't going to happen. No, 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 we're going to protect you. We're, you know. Now, we've got to remember, <clears throat> in verse 23, and we go back just six verses, and all of a sudden, Peter was blessed for what he got from the Holy Spirit. That, you know, he said, blessed are you, you know, your heavenly Father showed you this. Now, look at this. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. 
You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. What a contrast. Isn't, is that us too? Absolutely. We can get things from, we can get demonic thoughts, or we can get God thoughts. <coughs> we can get, it comes in, and we have a chance to decipher that. We have a chance to weigh that out. Where is it? See, we're getting spoken to all the time. Now, if it's something demonic, you know, uh, Paul said, take every thought captive, didn't he? Every thought captive. You know, I, I, we always talk about this on Sunday morning, but there might be a time where you can't even move for five minutes. That's a bad thought. That's not a good thought. That's not good. I'm throwing that out. I'm not keeping that one. Oh, there's a good thought. I can go with that one. But you see how important it is what we think, what we're thinking about? So now, he, as he's directly saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <clears throat> and then he directs Peter and says, that's not a good thought. That's from the enemy. That's from hell itself. Because we all know what would happen if Jesus would have never went to the cross. You and I would be in a darkness for eternity. So for him to say, get thee behind me, Satan, um, just uh, it shows us volumes what we need to listen to, what's coming out of our heart. <clears throat> Verse 24, And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. You know, I say this about a lot of verses, but this is one of the verses when I was an early Christian stopped me in my tracks. Just, I, I looked at it totally as a performance thing, something that I would, I would have to do, and it looked like an uh, insurmountable thing to do. I want to tell you, if, if, if you're here and you're not a believer, what that verse means to you is you can exchange your life for Christ. And he's inviting you and saying, if you give up your life, your self-motivated life, your self-oriented life that you want to keep and hold on to and cherish and build, if you give me that, I'll give you mine. And my life is an everlasting life. Whoever believes in me shall never die. So, but if you're a believer, a lot of times this is a confusing uh, verse as it was for me. So I'm going to read something here that I, I thought was pretty, pretty appropriate here. <clears throat> we actually, you can take your choice here, what, what you think this means. Interpretation number one is all about self-denial. Following Christ is all about self-denial and going without. If you're not in the daily habit of denying your appetites and desires, you're not a real Christian. The more you deny your own needs and wants, the holier you'll be. So fast every day and you'll be just like Jesus. But there's a problem with this interpretation. Abstaining from food or Facebook or fun 
won't make you righteous and holy. It makes you religious. This message of self-denial is nothing more than the ancient practice of asceticism dressed up in religious jargon. In other words, it would be the same as Hinduism, trying to live that perfect, 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 perfect life. It is a message that promotes thinking like a Pharisee, thinking you're better than others, and also putting others down. Self-righteous and do-it-yourself religiosity. Another problem with this interpretation is it will leave you anxious and insecure. Have I denied myself enough? Well, you can never know. You'd better just deny yourself some more just to be safe. Don't touch, don't handle, don't taste. Pretty soon you'll be whipping yourself and asking your friends to crucify you for the Easter parade. Jesus did not suffer and die on the cross that you could join him in suffering and dying on that cross as well. I'm going to clarify that in a minute. That's not good news. Jesus died so that we might be free from this sort of dead and useless religion. There is a place that we suffer as he suffered. Don't uh, make no mistake about that. That's, you know, uh, we are going to, we're going to have suffering on this earth. But that's a different kind of suffering. Uh, We don't need to suffer on a cross like he did. That was him and him alone that did that. Here's here's another interpretation. We have to look at it this way. Jesus is showing us the way to salvation. And who is the way? Jesus. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying that the way to salvation is through him and his cross. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The reason most Christians struggle to live the Christian life is they do not know that they have died with Christ. Yet Paul says it again and again to the Christians in Colossus, you died with Christ, Colossians 2.20. To the believers in Rome, he said, we died with Christ, Romans 6.8. To the Corinthians, we died, 2 Corinthians 5.14. When you have, were baptized or placed into Christ, you were baptized into his death, Romans 6, 3. And this is just about the single most important thing that's ever happened to you, yet most Christians are unaware of it. Since they don't know that they died, they are constantly trying to die. But the gospel declares you died. You have been crucified with Christ. The person you used to be, dead in sins and alienated from the life of God, no longer lives, but Christ lives in you. When we look at when we look at those words if we don't know and understand what Jesus did these words can be very burdensome for us uh for example uh pick up your cross you know people say well i have this ailment or this is wrong or this is wrong in my life that's my cross you don't have to suffer for nothing for sin Jesus did that. He already did that for you. But you're going to suffer in this world as a Christian because this world is ruled by the Antichrist. We're in foreign territory. We're in alien territory. That's that's why we suffer. And when he talks about a cross, when, when they said a cross back then, a cross meant death, a cruel death. Now that would be like today, it would say, you know, you have to go to the electric chair. 
In other words, you have to die. You have to die and live in him. Now, there's been great, great sermons about dying to dying ourselves and living in Christ. But that's something that I encourage you to, to, to ask the Holy Spirit and pray about that. Lord, this is a hard one. I don't understand this. But yet that is the way to freedom. That's the way to liberty and salvation in Jesus Christ. Giving up our life, our life that focuses on us versus his life that we live in focuses on him and focuses on others. Verse 26. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Can you think of anything that you would give your soul for? Can you think of anything that you would have on this earth and at the end of your life you would say, okay, I'm taking the consequences because I just enjoyed what I traded my soul for. If you did that and made that deal, what would that deal be? Would it be money? Would it be pleasures? Uh, Would it be fame? What would it be that we would put ourselves and make that deal? It wouldn't make any sense, would it? It's a bad deal. A bad, bad deal. You know, he concludes this. In verse 27, and he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then will recompense every man according to his deeds. That one you can put on your fridge. That's not a good one? I'm going to be recompensed for everything I've done. I don't know, does that ever stop anybody? Did that stop you in your tracks a little bit? It did me. We've talked about this a lot. So how do we, what do we do with that verse? I don't want to be, I don't want to be judged for everything I've done. Some of you might get by. I wouldn't. But you know, that verse In the situation, who, what, why, where, when, how, when Jesus is talking, every man is going to be recompensed for what he did. But if he loses his life, he will not be recompensed for what he did. Because he will live in the sanctity of, the pleasure and the peace of being a child of God, a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're not, if you haven't given up your life, then we're going to go before him with, I don't know, our attorney, or I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to stand on our own, our own merits. And Scripture cries out and tells us, None of us will stand righteous. None of us will stand before him without 
Jesus Christ as our attorney or our Savior and being found in him. You know, I want to go back just a little bit um, to this Peter business and this whole conversation with Peter is just the, the, these, uh, this conversation is just so awesome, but <clears throat> um, I, I understand that in, in uh, uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, that they have a statue of Peter there. And uh, again, the, the falsehood of Peter being the rock of the church. And it's been said that they've kissed his, he's got an exposed toe, evidently. And they've kissed his toe so much that the toe is gone. Seriously. If he keeps going, if they keep going, he's going to be defeated. <laughs> Some of you will get that later on. That's, that's okay. That's all right. But this is... <laughs> Thanks, Gloria. You got it. <laughs> but... You know, we need to glory in our Savior. We just, we just need to see these falsehoods that come up and how things get uh, generated out of the Bible that are not true. We talked about this morning on translations and, and just uh, deciphering things that Scripture tells us. So I just want to conclude with, Jesus would ask you that question. And you say, who do you say that I am? If we, can, if we can answer and said, Lord, you're my life. In you I live and move and have my whole being. And his arms are wide open to that. This is his purpose. This was his love for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, that through this conversation with Peter that we can gather so many things, Lord, uh, of truths that help us to to know that you're talking to us. Uh, we know to know when the enemy is talking to us. And uh, Lord, you tell exactly uh, what to do with our lives. Uh, and Lord, we we can hang on and and uh, declare, Lord, that we're clean and accepted because of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>